I want us to consider the possibility this morning that we need to rediscover our identity, both as individuals and equally as a church. In a recent book, which I've never read, I've just read reviews, a British writer declares that the church in Western Europe and North America is dying. And he blames that on an identity crisis, arguing that we've made so many efforts to accommodate ourselves to our culture, our rapidly changing culture, that we have in the process forgotten who we are. Do we have an identity crisis? Well, consider the definition. An identity crisis is a period of uncertainty and confusion in which a person's sense of identity becomes insecure, typically due to a change in their expected aims or roles in society. Have we become a bit confused about what we expect, what our aims are? Certainly our society has changed dramatically, rapidly. Who are we? What are we? It, it's not that long ago that it was common for people like us to identify ourselves as born-again Christians. That's how we saw ourselves. Nowadays, we aren't quite as quick to use that label. And, and there's probably more than one reason. Uh, now, those of you that are, are new don't know that I'm an American, unless my accent betrays that. But, but American politics hasn't helped us. The drama of American politics is political parties have sought to win the voting bloc that they call born-again voters. And many of those born-again voters were happy to be wooed by the various political parties. And that just hasn't felt quite right to us. And the jokes didn't help either. We were always a bit of an easy target. One commentator suggests that making fun of born-again Christians is like hunting cows, dairy cows, with the high-powered rifle and scope. We're just easy targets, he argues. So we've heard jokes like, he's a born-again Christian. The trouble is he suffered brain damage during rebirth. Or another line is, the trouble with born-again Christians is that they are an even bigger pain the second time around. <laughs> well, maybe another reason that we moved away from that title is that it feels a bit polarizing. It suggests that there are two classes of Christians, those who are born again and everybody else, and they were there was even at times an implication that the rest might not even be truly Christian. However, I would hate for us to dismiss these words completely. It is, after all, Jesus' identifying term for us. In his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, we hear Jesus insist to Nicodemus that he must be born again. So these are Jesus' words, and we don't want to discount them easily. Now, my premise for this morning is the church in every generation and every location needs to have a sense of its identity. Not as something we create, but as something received from God, revealed by God to us. Our sense of who and what we are must come from God. So our goal this morning is to hear what God has to say to us about our identity, about who we are. Now, to help us, we're going to lean on the Apostle John. John is the only one who recorded the story of Nicodemus for us. And out of our four readings for this Sunday, two are from the pen of John. I think we... Uh, there we go, John. The Gospel reading for today, which, by the way, today is, is the sixth 
Sunday, or the, yeah, the sixth Sunday of Easter, in case you didn't notice it on your calendar this morning. The Gospel reading are the words spoken by Jesus to his disciples on the night he was arrested just before he was in the garden praying that prayer, Thy will be done. The epistle reading is from 1 John, a letter written to people who needed in the face of increasing hostility to figure out what it meant to be Christian. So let's begin with the epistle. 1 John chapter 5, Kim read it a few minutes ago. You can turn to it on page 943 in the Bible in front of you in the pew. I'll read verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. Now let's pause. The NIV version reads, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. I think it's important that we not lose sight of, of this word born for, for two reasons. Number one, it's the word that John used. And number two, if you leave out the word born, I think we lose some of the emphasis of the passage. A more literal translation reads, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. See, the word born is retained. It's there in two different, two different cases. Now, who in this room had a say about whether or not you'd be born? Or into which family you might be born? Yeah, none of us. None of us, none of us were offered a choice. Uh, we're just born into a family. Might be a rich poor family, might be a poor family, might be a family from Oklahoma, might be a family from Alberta. It doesn't. We, we had no choice. Jesus' words through John put the emphasis on our birth as being God's choice, not ours. Our identity is based on what God has done for us. We are part of God's family because of what God has done. God is our Father because we've been adopted into His family as His children. We have been born of God. We are His children. But you say, isn't that true of every living person? Isn't every person a child of God? Well, the answer is yes in one sense. It's true in the sense that God is the creator of everyone. And, and in that sense, we might attribute to him fatherhood. But Jesus, in his teaching, when he came to our earth, introduced a brand new, profoundly different thought. That through our relationship with Jesus, we become part of God's family, and he becomes our father in a personal way. We are known by him. We are loved by him. We can communicate with him. We can follow Him. He cares about us. And when we wander away from our Father, as we are all prone to do, and we return to Him as a prodigal son, we are welcomed back to our Father with a loving smile and with His embrace. That's the newness that Jesus introduced to our understanding about God. We have a personal relationship with the Father who loves us. So our identity is, is summed up by these words. We are children of God because we believe that Jesus is the Christ. The way this picture is from other reverence, prodigal son. So we see the son being embraced by his father in this picture. 
We are children of God because we believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, we can't even take credit for that believing part. Paul tells us in Ephesians that believing is made possible by the work of God in our lives. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit enable us to believe that Jesus is the Christ. So our identity is completely based on something that God has done for us and in us. But there are some critically important implications in John's Gospel and also in the Epistle attached to our identity that we're children born of God. There are certain essential things that we do because of who we are. Specific behaviors that identify for other people who we are. And we're going to consider these three behaviors that, are, that make us worthy of our family name. See, our identity shapes what we do. Our sense of identity shapes how we behave. Now, what do you see on the screen? It's a bit faint, but it's a triangle, right? It's a triangle. That's the, the, the identity of this shape is that it's a triangle. Now, what makes it a triangle? Not a square, not a circle. Well, it's got three lines, and it's got three angles, and the three angles add up to 180 degrees. That gives it the identity of a triangle. Now, what happens if you take one line away from it? Well, can you see there's two faint lines up there? It's no longer a triangle. It's just two random lines connected in, at, at one end. It's not a triangle. Well, what I... What I want to do is use this triangular shape this morning to help us look at the three behaviors that show our identity as children of God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's, let's think back to John's letter written to people who were trying to figure out what it meant to be Christians. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey His commandments. Loving God means, his commandment, means keeping His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. And these short verses, we see three behaviors that reveal our identity as children of God. The behaviors are loving God, loving God's children, and obeying God. These are the three behaviors that show that we are God's children. And I'd like to consider them one at a time. Because we're born of God, we love God. But we don't love God in a vacuum. Our love for Him is a response to His love for us. This was a, a, a point that John made earlier in his letter, just the chapter before. We love because He first loved us, John 4.19. Now the extent and shape of God's love is stated in verse 9 and 10 of that chapter, where we read, God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The love of God is seen on the cross where Jesus died for us. Quite often, human love is connected with a sense of need. People who say, I love you, sometimes really mean, I need you. Because need is a part of our lives. But you see, God doesn't have any needs. God doesn't need anything. He is completely self-sufficient in Himself. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our love. 
C.S. Lewis said in The Four Loves, in God there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteousness that desires to give. Bob mentioned that in his prayer for the offering. This gracious plenteousness of God that longs to give to us because he loves us. What a remarkable thought. God loves us as a father. Well, you might get caught on that one a little bit. You might trip on that line. Because every single one of us had a father that wasn't perfect. Every single one of us had a father who was fallen. Every single one of us carries some wounds somewhere because of our dad. We were loved, we love. But our dads were perfect. Our Heavenly Father was perfect in every respect. Absolutely perfect. So our proper natural response to His love is to love Him back. But how do we love God? Now when it comes to thinking about loving God, I want us to remind ourselves that actions always speak louder than words. We want to love God with our actions. It's good to love Him with our words too, but we want to love God with our actions. And John shows us two actions that demonstrate our love for God. First, because we are born of God, that's our identity, we love His other children. Takes us back to the triangle, that's the Second line of it, we love God, we love each other. I have four children, uh, three older ones and one younger one. Three boys started off with, and, and when they were teenagers, I wondered about it. They love each other now. They really do love each other now. I wasn't so sure back in the day. I wasn't so sure they were all three going to survive their adolescent years. It's hard, it's painful to watch your children fight. It's painful when your children don't like each other. How much more is that true of God than is true even of us? God longs for us to love one another. In our culture, being in love has become a dominant theme. In the Bible, loving, not being in love, loving is the dominant theme. And there's always something sacrificial in the act of loving. In love, we put the needs of the other person ahead of ourselves, which is precisely what Jesus did. He made it plain in his words and his actions. Greater love is no one than this that they lay down, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus said that in the upper room and then he did it hours later on the cross. I'm going to come back to this in a few minutes. Let's, let's go to the next action. Because we are born of God, we obey God. According to John, loving God and obeying the commandments of God are inseparably connected. This is the third behavior that needs to be reflected because of our identity. We love God, we love one another, we obey God. Where, we might ask, did the Apostle John come up with this idea? It was part of that conversation in the upper room in John 15, a few hours before Jesus was arrested, a few hours at, before he prayed in Gethsemane. 
Jesus said, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Obedience and love go hand in hand. Did I ever tell you about my one date with a young woman named Susie? No? Well, we're going to have to hear it now. It was, it was roughly 48 years ago. Why did you laugh? And I was in my second year of seminary preparing for ministry. And I arrived at her formidable front door. She, she drove a Porsche. Does that tell you something about her front door? I arrived at her formidable front door and finally figured out how to knock on it. When I met her even more formidable mother, who asked me, do you love Jesus? That's not the worst parental strategy for dealing with someone who's coming to woo your daughter. I might have to use that myself someday. Uh, but I was completely caught off guard. You'd think that'd be an easy question for a seminary student to answer, don't you? I was completely cut off guard. Because that week I'd been reading my Bible and I'd been meditating on the words of Jesus when he said that if we loved him, we'd keep his commandments. And I was a bit impressed with my lack of obedience. So she said, do you love Jesus? And I finally stammered out, sometimes. Well, that, that met with its own sermon in Hongkong. Yeah, we should love God always, every, every, every day, every moment. And I tried to explain to her what I meant, and that didn't get very far. Oh, well, anyway, that was my last trip to that door. <laughs> Obedience and love go hand in hand. Absolutely. In his book, The Hideous Strength, C.S. Lewis has his main character say this line, and this is worth writing down, by the way, for taking notes. You do not fail in obedience through lack of love, but have lost love because you never attempted obedience. Obedience and love go together. Now let's suppose that we all accept the fact that obedience to God is evidence of our love for Him, and let's assume that we do want to love God, not just sometimes, but all the time. Then where do we begin? What's the first step in obedience? Somebody tell me. Somebody here knows. Trust. Trust, that's, that's good, but that's, there's something before that. You gotta listen. Yes. You gotta hear. You gotta hear God telling you what to do. You've gotta pay attention to God's voice. You've gotta listen. Now this begins with paying attention to God's Word. Now, I've already told you about Susie, so I'll tell you something else about my life. I, I have, as I prepared this sermon, I began to realize, you know, I haven't been doing a very good job of listening to God lately. I, I haven't had my regular disciplined time of reading the Scripture and saying, God, what do you want me to do? I, I blame it on retirement. You know, the nice thing about retirement is you just throw out all the routines. Then you just do what you want, when you want to do it. The bad thing about retirement is you throw out the routines and sometimes you throw out some good ones. So I've been impressed as I've been preparing this sermon that I need to get back to some old routines of, in a disciplined way, listening to God, 
Lord, what do you want me to do? So I'm working on getting back to that. Now you'll recall a year and a half ago, uh, not, not even that long ago, a year ago when we were talking about Lent and I talked about giving up cookies for Lent and I said I'd gone to the gym and done a workout and then I went for coffee and, and I ordered a cookie because it was a beautiful, beautiful, gluten-free peanut butter cookie. And I ate it and as I was finishing I thought, oh wait a minute, I gave up cookies for Lent and I told you that in the story. And you guy, Johnny, you, every Sunday, Johnny was saying to me and others of you too, how you doing with those cookies? That was a good thing. I need some of you, Johnny, you can do this, to come to me in the room and say, how are you doing with the routine? Are you getting back into that space of listening to God? I need you. You see, when it comes to obedience, we need each other's help. Look at, look at this picture. This is an actual school in England that trains dogs to be police dogs. That's an actual cat who, when this picture was taken, lived at that school. Why, I don't know. Maybe just to test the cat, the dogs. So these dogs have been told to stay, right? But look at some of them. There's one guy right in the middle there. He's staying, but he's leaning out. He's, he's thinking about this. There's another guy that's looking off in the other direction because he knows if he looks at the cat, maybe he's in trouble. And there's some other, their body language says they're just written. Now what happens if one dog breaks ranks? Unless that cat's got nine lives, it doesn't bode well for the cat. Sometimes we're tempted to think that our own little acts of disobedience really don't matter that much. But it does, because we are a family, we are a team, and our disobedience may hurt someone else. Somebody else might say, well, if he can do that, I guess it's okay for me to do that. We have to remember that what we do has an influence on other people. We also have to be reminded that being obedient to God is hard, and we need help. I, I, for years and years and years, I've been in, I, I used to be, I'm not anymore, in an early morning prayer meeting with a bunch of guys. And one of the things that we do in that prayer meeting every Tuesday morning is if we needed to, we'd say, you know, I'm having stroke, I'm having a problem with this area. I'm struggling with this. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? We, we need that. Now I want to wrap up with two thoughts. First, our, our part in this adoption process is believing. Believing. It's more than an act of the intellect, it's an act of the will. It begins with the mind, for sure. We have to think things through. But believing is a daily act of being fully committed to Jesus Christ. That is accomplished by our will. I will follow Jesus today. I will obey Jesus today. Jesus, wherever I am, I believe you are, and you may use me today to touch someone else's life. We will to obey and follow Jesus. And we increasingly love Him in that way. I was asked fairly recently, how, how do we know if we're a Christian? Well, this was a teenager that asked me this. And I said, we know because we have willed and chosen to follow Jesus completely. And when we can say, yes, I am doing that, yes, I fail, yes, I falter, 
as I stumble, but my determination is to follow Jesus. When we've done that, we're a Christian. If, if you've not made this commitment before, today's a good day to start, to begin. Because this Jesus who died for us and who makes it possible for us to be part of God's family is worthy of that commitment. Second, there's this business of loving each other. And it's very easy to be in a place where we love the church and we don't like some of the people. I, I, I know that fairly well. There are lots of years in my years of being a pastor when I'd say, you know, I'm going to start a new church and nobody's coming to that church but my dog. <laughs> my dog likes me. It's, Jesus calls us to love each other even when we're not always that lovable. Takes a little bit of effort. But it begins really with getting to know each other. I think it would be a worthy goal for our congregation if, if each one of us would come to church on Sunday morning with the ambition to know one person better when we leave than we did when we got here. Just spending a few minutes getting to know them. Because once we get to know people, some of their peculiarities make a little more sense. And we say, oh, you know, I think I like this person. Maybe before I didn't. Now I think I like them because I'm getting to know them. And then when that person enters into a difficult time in their life, because every single one of us do, when that person enters that time of life, we know them and we can be there with them to encourage them strengthen them, to help them, to love them, to be God's agents of love and grace. So maybe we need to just say, okay, Lord, you want me to love these people? That's your command? Okay, I'm going to start getting to know them a little bit better so that I can love them better. This is who we are, God's children, born of God, belonging to his family. And we show this by loving God, loving each other, and obeying God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for our adoption. Thank you for being our Father, for loving us so tenderly and sometimes so fiercely. Thank you. Help us to be worthy of this name that we bear to be part of your family. Help us to love you, to love each other, and to obey you. That we might live out truly our identity. For we ask it in Jesus' name.